everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We've all learned so much this year about ourselves, about each other, and really about the society that we all live in. As the pandemic rages on, it's continuing to teach us about the enormity of our resilience as individuals and communities across this country. And it's also granting us all a kind of collective opportunity to pause and notice the underpinnings of oppression, of greed and inequity, and the uglier truths of our nation that are easy to forget when we're all running around at 100 miles an hour every day. So as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday this year, here on the show, I want to spend this hour taking a hard look at the genocidal and colonial origins of this day for indigenous communities. And I want to peel back the curtain a bit to look at the stories that are left out of so many of the history books and lessons we all grew up with. There are some hard truths to look at. And in this time when it seems we're all a bit more willing to be frank, to have our eyes opened a bit wider, here on Detroit Today, I think we have a real responsibility to this notion of narrative equity as it relates to indigenous voices and perspectives going into the holiday. That's not to say this is going to be an hour of chastising or guilting white people or trying to ruin the holiday for people who are celebrating. But in the same way that Black Lives Matter protesters have taken to the streets demanding an end to systemic racism and have in turn created a shift in the collective consciousness as it relates to our value of black lives and black voices, that's the same energy I want to infuse into today's show, which is focused on lifting up and learning from indigenous people and in particular, indigenous women. Later in the hour, I'm going to talk with two young indigenous reporters about what they've been thinking about in the days leading up to Thanksgiving. But first, I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the show. Pat McCabe is a Dene or Navajo mother, grandmother, activist, artist, writer, ceremonial leader, and international speaker. And she joins us now. Pat McCabe, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good morning, Detroit. (laughs) It's great to have you with us. So before we get started, and very much in the spirit of what I was just saying in our open, I want to start by acknowledging that I'm talking to you while I sit in the WDET studios here in Detroit on Anishinaabe land, which is admittedly an acknowledgement that I don't think I've ever made before on this show. But it's an act that can be really healing and important in our collective understanding of the history of this country and how the history of this country relates to Native peoples. We are all occupying land that was stolen from other people who were here before. So I want to one, I would love to have you talk just a little about the idea of normalizing those kinds of land acknowledgments, something that's starting to happen. Uh, and as I said, this is the first time, this is the first time I've ever done it here on the show. Well, Bujou and uh, Miigwech, uh, say greetings to my Anishinaabe relatives over in your part of the world. And thank you for that acknowledgement. Um, I, I also wanna 
to offer a formal greeting uh, from my nation to that part of the Mother Earth. And so I'll say, Yate Abene Sheeya Tachi Nashli Aro Ashi Bashishchi Maedish Gejne Dashanele Klauschi Dashiche Gwatawasani Nashli. So I'm uh, greeting, greeting your land and the people, the original peoples from there um, with my clans that we get from our mothers. Um, wow. So I wanna I wanted to you know to talk about this land acknowledgement, which is really really growing. You know I'm I'm on Zoom meetings um, a lot, and uh, I will say that in many of my Zoom meetings, when along with people's names, they're acknowledging the original peoples whose land they're on and mm-hmm. where they're speaking from, and that's a that's a really powerful uh, shift that I'm noticing. And you know w- what I'd like to point out about this time of year. Um, is you know recently I was asked to to do a an opening prayer to acknowledge uh, the and and celebrate the the writing of the U.S. Constitution and in that celebration which actually um, uh, was being acknowledged of course in Philadelphia but um, in in that in that acknowledgement there came up this phrase I think it was from William Jennings Bryant one of the original. Um, authors uh, who, who took part in the writing of the U.S. Constitution. Um, and he, he called, you know, the development of the, what we now call the United States a, a holy experiment. And <laughs> I had a really strong reaction to that. <laughs> holy experiment. I was like, wow. Uh, because, you know, for, and, and this isn't something that is told in, in, U, in U.S. history books. Um, and, and I, as a Native person sent to uh, U.S. schools, um, was sitting in classrooms listening to this version of history when I was very young, and it was quite confusing, I'll say, to, to say, wait a minute, what? And uh, as I'm listening to how history is being taught. But what, um, but what, I, what, I really, what really struck me so deep this year, and it, it's something that I've known, but it really, it, maybe it just dropped down into my heart, is that, you know, we were, we were presented in our, in our U.S. history books as though this land, this continent, in fact, the entire continent. So we tend to think of this continent only, we only think about our part, you know, the northern part and not too far north because then we get up into Canada, right? So we're not really thinking about them. We're not really thinking about the, the things <laughs> below us. We're thinking about what we call the United States. But, but, what, I, but what I notice is that in our U.S. history books, we're, it's kind of presented as though this whole continent and this, what we now call the United States, was just a blank page waiting to be written upon. By by somebody, hmm. and in this case, by by um, European uh, um, explorers, uh, uh, colonizers, and um, mercenaries, really. But um, but what I what I really want us to maybe notice this morning is that you know all the accounts of when the explorers arrived here talk about the lushness of this land talk about the abundance of this land, the abundance of vegetation, the abundance of, of game. And, you know, so it's really spoken of as though it were some kind of wild, untouched by humans, pristine Eden. Hmm. And what I want to point out is that it wasn't that this land was untouched by human hands. <laughs> there were millions of inhabitants on this continent. Mm-hmm. And there have been many, many deep civilizations that the history books don't talk about. There were the mound cultures, 
in the southeast um, United States. So there were there were huge uh, civilizations going on here, and the reason that it seemed as though there wasn't was because there was a different principle about being on the land here. The idea here, you know, for the peoples who inhabited this this continent wasn't to be able, wasn't to make a lasting mark. Mm. In fact, to make a lasting mark meant that you didn't really understand how to be here. <laughs> and so, so you know, my daughter, um, uh, who's pursuing a PhD at this point, she's um, really exploring uh, land management, traditional indigenous land management practices. And what she pointed out to me, um, this is Lila June Johnston, um, maybe some of you know her as well, but um, she pointed out to me that, you know, scientifically, as they're taking core samples of the earth, which is kind of drilling a, a, a removing a small sure. tubular kind of sample that goes down many feet into the earth, um, they're able to, to tell what kind of flora and fauna were present at different times. So, you know, at a certain time, at a certain depth represents a certain time. And they're seeing, you know, that maybe there were only three or four different kinds of vegetation going on in the area primarily. And what I want to point out to us, um, both to set the record of history straight, but also as we look forward into the future, is that there are points where human presence arrives, and that becomes evident in these core samples. We know when human presence arrived. And when that happens, flora and fauna like explode. Hmm. And suddenly the land is uh, fruiting and flowering in all new ways. The biodiversity increases. The, um, the, the forest, the diversity of forest increases. And so what that says is, is that these humans who were here on this continent had a way of managing huge areas of land, like hundreds of square miles, in such a way that um, they were cultivating this biodiversity. And so... Oftentimes in our history books, we're presented as though we are like these loincloth wearing primitive, um, they call us hunter gatherers, right? <laughs> and that we were just sort of stumbling upon things that were naturally growing. And, and so I think it's really important for us to maybe consider here that no, the science itself is showing us that that wasn't the case at all. That there were um, deep, deep um, relationships going on with the land that created a kind of agriculture that is almost unknown to modern world paradigm at this point. Yeah. You know, and I want to point, point out that just for a little bit longer here, that going all the way down. So again, you know, at that time we weren't um, looking at this whole continent as in terms of nationalities, you know, the national borders weren't established. And so there are, there are pathways and trails that run from Alaska to Antarctica all the way through this continent. And, the, you know, our, our textbooks call them the trade routes. But what I've been told uh, by my elders is that these were actually kinship routes. And so the peoples um, were traveling these roads, this network of roads traveling all the way across this continent. And they were sharing knowledge of how to be here, how to cause, how to be a human being that causes life to thrive. And they were... Um, cross-pollinating this knowledge all throughout this continent. And so really what we had here was a, an entire continent that was, we might call it a thriving single organism. Hmm. Wow. 
And so when we think about that's what was going on here at the time of contact. Um, and, and I, I, you know, that changes something for me. It changes yeah. one thinking about our, the way us history is presented, but also what that says is, is that we as a species can actually be a part of causing life to thrive in really deep ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just listening to you talk about that, I, I, I can't help but draw comparisons to the arrival of Europeans, for instance, on the African continent and the ways in which the people who were there, uh, people who I am descended from, uh, were described and and dehumanized and uh, sort of cast as savages because uh, their relationship to things like the land, to ideas like community to concepts like money and ownership were really different from what Europeans brought uh, brought with them and and it's it's remarkable to, to, to think of both African people and indigenous people on this continent having had that that same experience and cast forward hundreds of years the story still gets told in the same way the story still casts us as somehow um less than less than what uh, what came after i i, I do want to get you to talk also about thanksgiving and the holiday itself and how it lands on indigenous people um as somebody who's an indigenous elder i'm really curious what your thoughts and feelings are like on uh, the eve of Thanksgiving this year? Mm. Well, of course, I can't speak for all Indigenous people, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a single sample. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will say uh, that, you know, um, well, just to go back a little bit to what you were saying about the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. And so this is the thing is that, is that this, this European um, mindset and this European understanding of how to be human um, kind of exploded all across the planet in a very short period of time. And so this really, really changed the landscape of, of humanity, of the human family, I'm going to say. And one thing that, that I've been saying is, if, you know, if sustainability is the highest and most sought after technology on the planet, who should we be talking to? Mm we should be talking to those peoples who've known how to live in one place over an extended period of time, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 10,000 years, 20,000 years, which is hard for modern science and, and, and many people to grasp, but there's definitely evidence of, of societies being here 40,000 years ago in what we now call the United States, and, and even some evidence recently, according to National, National Geographic, showing human presence here 130,000 years ago. So we have to kind of expand our, our understanding of, of human history. And so what I'm gonna say about that is, is, is that, you know, what, what I can be thankful for today is for my ancestors, you know, and whatever, whatever decisions they had to make. And I know the situation was the same for, for the African people who were stolen from their continent and brought to this continent. Um, which is it's it's hard to describe the the level of displacement when mm -hmm. you're when you're so deeply embedded in place. Mm -hmm. That's that's why we call ourselves indigenous, right? Because we are of place so deeply. 
But what I can be grateful for on this day is the decisions that my ancestors made. And, and there have been many different pathways um, for, for moving the generations forward, for seeing to it that the generations, you know, uh, thrive going forward. And so for some people that was, that was hunkering down and, and hiding <laughs> out or, <laughs> or fighting um, long enough to, to be able to remain in place. And, and those, I really acknowledge those people who were able to do that. In my family, um, I don't know if my, if, it, if my elders were kidnapped or, or what, you know, what happened. But at a certain point, you know, there was a mandate for the United States government that said that, that we, any Native child basically could be grabbed and taken to these residential boarding schools. And so that's a big part of my family history. Mm-hmm. And so my grandparents um, were in one of the first, uh, they were the first round of students at this um, Dutch Christian Reform Missionary Boarding School here in New Mexico. And then later, when the Great Depression hit, they sent their children because our way of life was being dismantled and the United States uh, economy had collapsed. And so there were these schools and that allowed um, their children to be have food, clothing and shelter. And so, you know, there, there have been tough, tough decisions all along the way for, for all of our peoples. And, and yet, whatever those decisions were, whatever my grandparents and great grandparents, aunts, uncles, et cetera, made, you know, I'm going to say it's the right one because here I am, here I am. And the plan was for me not to be here. The plan was genocide. And so what I think that says for the world is, is that there indigenous peoples here in what we call the United States today um, have an opportunity to help us move through a very, very difficult time. Now it's not just us who are being um, uh, presented with really difficult the difficulties of that mindset that came, you know, that I'm going to say was born out of Europe and traveled the world. Now we're all suffering the consequences of it, and we're going to have to find a common solution. And so I'm grateful to be an indigenous person that has made it through all of that and arrived to, at this moment. And my goal is to be of service to the very mm. highest possibility for life, light, and love. And I'm grateful for that today. Mm-hmm. Is there something we should be doing differently in this in the Thanksgiving celebration to acknowledge more of the presence of indigenous people on this on this continent and and the 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 actual truth of that story that we all get told about the first Thanksgiving and and the inaccuracies that uh, that are that are sort of baked into it. If Thanksgiving were uh, were were yours to sort of uh, plan out and 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 script, what would it what would it look like to be more accurate? Well, in my in my world, as an indigenous person, um, I have so many allies. I have so many people who are really examining these questions quite mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, of movement towards, um, towards under one, first, the true acknowledgement of what the history of this land is. And not, not just in terms, again, of nation states, but in terms of of earth geology. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to look at it that way. 
and um, and to see that um, that there was a there was a there was an opportunity for right relations that was that was, that went completely awry, um, and and so I want to acknowledge the people who are really considering this deeply already, and who are making moves to understand how to reconcile, how to restore right relations, um, and so that's a big part of, of what I would put forward on this at this time mm. and then what you did to start to have land acknowledgement because really what we're saying there is we're acknowledging human ancestry and and it's not in the past we're we're alive we're 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 still doing it we're still carrying forward the principles of thriving life here on this on this mother earth in what we now call the United States but those relationships were millennia old and they were so um, reciprocal. There was a symbiotic relationship going between human beings and earth in this place. And many, many, um, not only uh, agricultural or, or physical um, uh, accomplishments were made, but there were spiritual accomplishments that were also being cultivated and tended to and right relations between many nations that had unintelligible languages. So there was a there was a, a science of right relations and diplomacy going on here that allowed for different peoples to have different languages, different cosmologies, different understanding, and they were able to live together in this place and mm. not tear it to pieces. <laughs> mm. So that land acknowledgement that you did is 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 a way of acknowledging. Yes, who came here before us? Who who are the original, um, and we, we don't say owners, but tenders of, of the land. Um, but also acknowledging, again, to look to the future, um, the possibility of the human ability to reside on a piece of this Mother Earth in such a way that that all, not only human life thrives, but that all life thrives. So there's, a, there's an app. It's called nativeland.ca. And if you put that on your phone, mm. anywhere you go, you can put in your location and it'll tell you who were the traditional who peoples of that land. Wow. And so we can acknowledge, we can acknowledge both what the history and begin that reconciliation process, but we can also really, I hope, tap into a place of saying, yes, even in this place, I can be a human being that causes all life to thrive. Okay, Pat McCabe, a Navajo mother, grandmother, activist, artist, writer, ceremonial leader, and international speaker. It was really wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you very much for joining My us. honor and my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with two Michigan-based indigenous reporters who are going to tell me what they're thinking about heading into Thanksgiving this year. We'll also get the phones going. Call and tell us, how are you thinking about Thanksgiving this year? What have you learned from listening to voices and perspectives that are different from your own? And what's a lesson you've learned about your own biases that's changed your outlook or your life or your community here in Southeast Michigan. We also would love to hear from indigenous peoples living with us here in South Michi- Southeast Michigan, what you're thinking about as we get closer and closer to the Thanksgiving holiday. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about Indigenous peoples and how they experience the Thanksgiving holiday that we'll all celebrate tomorrow. It's a very different experience than lots of other Americans have. Uh, We want to spend the rest of the hour hearing from two Indigenous women from Michigan who are thinking a lot about this holiday and this entire month, which, in case you don't know, is Native American History Month. Megan Lana Gupta will be joining us momentarily. But first, I want to get started by welcoming Sierra Clark, an Ottawa and Anishinaabe journalist fellow with the Traverse City Record Eagle and Indigenizing the News. She has a piece coming out tomorrow in the Record Eagle in Planet Detroit and Indigenizing the News that details her thoughts on Thanksgiving as an Indigenous woman. Sierra, welcome to Detroit Today. Ani Buju Wayawatayan, Sierra Indigenakas, Kichua Dong Sing and Dojipa, Odawa Ojebwe Unda, Makwa and Doram. Good morning, Detroit. Miigwech so much for having me this morning. Yeah, no, thank you for joining us. In your piece that comes out tomorrow, you detail your own experience commemorating the colonial narrative of Thanksgiving while growing up in a mostly white community. T- tell us just a little about that. Yeah, so I I grew up uh, in Peshawar Town on the uh, Odawa and Chippewa Reservation and went to a public school. Uh, I went to public schools uh, all my life, but... Um, I was taught the same very Eurocentric, one-sided narrative um, that is false, um, which you know no, most people know it as the Indians and pilgrims came together in, in unity. And with being taught that, you know, we made these very cliche headdresses and pilgrim hats, and as a little indigenous girl, I knew it was wrong. I felt that it was very wrong, but at the time I trusted the adults and I trusted the education and it, it confused me a lot growing up. Um, it wasn't until later um, that I, I began my studies at university that I was given the, the, the true history mm. of it. And, you know, um, idea, this narrative that is taught is really just this, uh, it's packaged in this easily digestible story, but the truth of the holiday is deeply rooted in colonial genocide on Indigenous people. And I can't speak for all Indigenous people, but in my opinion, it is a celebration of white supremacy and the ongoing uh, genocide of indigenous communities that we still face today. So, it yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it, you know, it just it continues to maintain this settler fantasy of unity between pilgrims and Indians, and you know, by doing this, we erase the realities and historical truth of that colonial violence. And you know, with that, indigenous perspective is left out as if there was no life that happened before uh, before 
Columbus arrived in 1492 or the arrival of the first pilgrims on the Mayflower. Um, you know, this allows people to continue being comfortable occupying stolen space and the atrocities committed uh, for this country to be formed. Mm. So, so uh, two questions. One, uh, do you celebrate Thanksgiving in any way anymore? And then my second question is, what, what do you think we ought to be doing as a nation about something like Thanksgiving? I mean, this is a year where, uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, we've really started to think differently about lots of things that we call traditions or norms, things that we take for granted, and started to say, well, we've got to do that differently because there is a history that is implicated by what we're mm-hmm. doing now. So so I guess I have that same question about something like Thanksgiving. Is it is it a, a holiday that that we should be rethinking in a in a pretty substantive way? So but let's start with uh, uh, you talking about what what you do uh, and what you will do tomorrow and then uh, talk about what you think the holiday ought to look like. Yeah, I, I do want to put out there that I, I don't hate Thanksgiving. I don't hate families coming together and and ce- celebrating one another over over food and giving and giving thanks. Um, I do believe having a holiday one day a year to only give thanks um, kind of creates a, an entitlement mentality. Um, in Anishinaabek culture, we have these practices implemented every single day of being thankful, um, being family-centric, um, and, and having feasts together. Um, you know, but with that being said, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving how I used to. I dropped that many years ago, and rather than trying to celebrate this false narrative given uh, my family and I, we choose to use the day to uh, spend some time mourning um, our ancestors and everyone that we have lost due to residential boarding schools um, and genocide, frankly. Mm. Um, but we, we also use the day to, to really look at everything that we do have um, because of our ancestors, because of what they sacrificed and what they did to ensure um, I can be where I am today. Um, in Anishinaabek culture, we do what's called ghost feasts, and those are in the beginning of November around All Souls Day, and it's um, a day or two, maybe a couple days, to give thanks to our ancestors. Um, we have a spirit plate and kind of like a little altar where we put photos up and we make their favorite foods. We talk about them. We offer them the spirit plate. And we have um, a sacred fire lit that is maintained by a fire keeper. And we, we bring out our medicines and we ask our medicines to help us and to give thanks to everything and to everyone that did what they did in order for us to be here um, because they're, they were thinking seven generations ahead. They did everything so I can I can sit here today and talk with you. Um, hmm. And, you know, moving forward, you asked, you know, what we should be doing. Um, I really think that we need a new and different way to 
engage in these traditions that stem from indigenous belief systems, you know, the, the being thankful and feasting. Um, I honestly believe that we need to have indigenous perspective when teaching the holiday of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I know growing up, I wasn't giving that. And I have a son who's in second grade and there's the curriculum being taught is still the, the pilgrims and the Indians coming together. And it just, it, it doesn't sit right with me anymore. Um, so having that indigenous perspective really is important um, so we don't have the erasure right. of of indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to welcome uh, Megan Lada Gupta, who is a member of the Sioux Tribe of Chippewa Indians and founder of Indigenizing the News, which is a digital news source dedicated to educating non-Native allies about Native nations and cultures and issues uh, to the conversation. Megan Lada, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I, I want to get you to respond to those same questions I just asked uh, Sierra about or, uh, about the Thanksgiving holiday and how you are thinking about it heading into the holiday tomorrow and, and what you think we ought to do with this holiday that – that there's this very uh, apocryphal story um, that is that is kind of wrapped around that that is deeply problematic from an indigenous perspective. Yeah, um, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Sierra said. I mean, I think too for me, I welcome you know celebrations of giving thanks, thinking about family you know, thinking about our relationships, thinking about family histories. I mean, I think that's wonderful. And I think we should be doing that more often than one day a year. Um, and so, you know, for Native people, obviously, this is a very complex holiday. And I think we just have to, you know, celebrate it however we feel comfortable. I know some people who do a traditional kind of Thanksgiving uh, dinner, you know, my family, we kind of mix it up. We do some of our traditional foods, actually, Um and so that's super nice. And so we still have a meal, but we're doing, you know, some traditional Anishinaabe foods and things like that. Mm. Um, and, and to Sierra's point, too, about education, I mean, I think, you know, as you know, I, education for me is so profoundly important. It's such a large part of, you know, what I want to do. And I think something that gets lost in all of this, um, you know, with kind of that Western colonial view of education is that, um, you know, indigenous peoples on the East Coast are still thriving, you know, alive, well, you know, practicing their cultures today in the contemporary. And I think it's important, you know, when we have this conversation about Thanksgiving to also be like, okay, you know, this is a myth, number one. And also, you know, Wampanoag communities, for example, are still, you know, celebrating and they still have these oral histories passed down of what actually happened. And, you can go on YouTube, you can, you know, invite someone to class, things like that. And that shows, you know, younger children that, okay, you know, Native Americans aren't just this, you know, ancient people who aren't alive anymore, but they're actually, you know, continuing today. And, you know, it's great to just expose, you know, children, Native and non-Native alike to other, you know, Indigenous cultures and histories and things like that. So I would say just, you know, focusing on the contemporary too, you know, how can allies help Native people today? You know, and and that's still just as important for understanding this holiday. Mm. 
Um, so I, I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, again, that this is Native American History Month, November is, and that there's mm-hmm. a Native American Heritage Day that falls this year on Black Friday. Uh, Megan, talk about what these things mean to you and how we could uh, better commemorate and recognize those collectively. Yeah, I mean, Native American History Month is is just so wonderful because it's a time where, you know, people across Indian country are coming together, celebrating, you know, there's events. My tribe has done um, a whole month of events, you know, everything ranging from uh, indigenous arts, you know, Ojibwe arts to also some, you know, Zoom sessions where we can cook alongside an indigenous chef and learn some recipes and things like that. And so I think for me, it's, you know, number one, a time for celebration, a time to think about all our histories, our collective histories, to celebrate that we have resisted and we survived and we're here. Um, And I think, you know, it also can be a great time to educate other people. You know, a lot of these events are just wonderful events for anyone to join, you know, native or non-native. And this is a great time to kind of just grow in your education, you know, grow in your understanding of and just resisting the myths that have been passed down through Mm -hmm. other education systems for so long. Um, And I think it also provides a great way for Native people too to, you know, connect back to their tribal communities. You know, during the year, some of us are at school. It's been great for me to take time this month to go to a lot of the events. And another thing is during COVID too, we've been so separated for so long, you know, physically apart, but it's great to see all the virtual celebrations that are happening, you know, safe, virtual, you know, we still are able to come together, see presentations, connect with each other. And I'm super heartened by all of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about Thanksgiving and indigenous peoples, how the two intertwine and interact this time of year, maybe not the way a lot of us have thought for most of our lives. Uh, Maybe some things we ought to be thinking about that we haven't had the opportunity to think about. We also want to start uh, hearing from you on the phones here. Uh, What are you thinking about Thanksgiving this year? And what do you think about the idea of Thanksgiving from an indigenous people's perspective? Are there things we ought to be reconsidering about Thanksgiving the way we're reconsidering other things in light of uh, the reckoning with systemic racism and inequality that's going on in other quarters of our culture? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to make them a part of the conversation. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You are listening to Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad that you've joined us. My guests are Sierra Clark and Megan Lada Gupta, both journalists and members of indigenous communities here in Michigan. Uh, We're talking about indigenous peoples and how the Thanksgiving holiday 
lands on them? How does it land on their ears and how does it land in their lives? Uh, how different is that than the rest, the way the rest of us experience Thanksgiving, the traditional stories that we're told and often believe about what Thanksgiving is all about and how it started? Uh, is it time to really rethink some of those things and add a little more truth to the stories that we share and remember this time of year. Uh, we want to hear from you as well about what you're thinking about as we get closer to Thanksgiving uh, and whether you think that this should be part of the reckoning that we are really, I think, uh, doing in an extraordinary way this year uh, around issues uh, about systemic racism and inequality. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we will try to make them part of the conversation uh, as well. Let's start with Ashley in Rochester. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, so I'm an educator, and I'm also still a student in education at Oakland University. Um, and just I was listening to the show today, and I feel like my a lot of my conversations lately have been around, um, you know, education and how we, you know, reframe Thanksgiving and what we see Thanksgiving as. Mm. Um, so lately, I've been substituting with really, really young students as a co-teacher of sorts with kindergartners, and I think. One of the most striking things leading up to Thanksgiving for me has been a kindergartner um, when talking about Native Americans one-on-one told me they were, they said, they aren't all Native Americans dead. Like this came out of a kindergartner's (laughs) mouth. (laughs) Um, And it was uh, a very shocking thing because when I was growing up and when I was in school, um, I remember being bullied for being Native American, having jokes being made about me you know, having this misinformation taught. And mm. I guess I sort of had those rose-tinted glasses heading forward and thinking that education was making large strides elsewhere, that in 2020 we would be maybe reframing how we talk about Native Americans to young children. Um, and this was not the school at all. Uh, this was more so something at home or what they had been getting media-wise or education in other places. Um, and so the biggest thing about Thanksgiving is that It's just this education point, and it starts really, really young. Mm. So what I've noticed is these notions of the pilgrim and the Indian to really, really young students, you know, having um, a Thanksgiving play for the school where kids are dressed up in headdresses and then also the little pilgrim hats. Um, That is where the misinformation starts. (laughs) And that when you get older and when you have high school students, which is the main population I normally work with and I'm going to school for, and with education um, and higher education students. So that is this population I work with at OU with land acknowledgments and indigenous issues. It takes so much more legwork to re-educate and to try to re-correct that line of thinking um, to, you know, try to get out of people's minds that Native Americans were savages and that the pilgrims came over here, they all came over here for religious freedom and away from persecution. And, you know, this myth of discovery that um, America really has tied to its origins. And so the biggest thing is making sure that for our young young kids right don't plant the don't plant the wrong story in a young mind and then try to correct it later. right and the biggest thing would be if you cannot explain to a young child the nuances 
of the Native American experience in regards to um, um, colonialization and um, settlers and pilgrims. If you can't explain that they were massacred, if you can't explain that how disease act as a form of genocide to them, then don't explain it at all. Mm. So one of the biggest things that I'm seeing in the elementary school I work with right now is the collectively teachers who have no Indigenous people on their staff. This was grassroots, just non-Indigenous teachers saying, we're not even going to mention Native Americans, right? We're going to talk about turkey. We're going to talk about food. Mm. And while I think that that's a Band-Aid that maybe we shouldn't broach with older kids, I think with the young ones, that's a great first step because they can't understand the fact, you know, and I wouldn't want them to try to understand and work out in their heads. Yeah. That's really interesting, Ashley. I'm fascinated by uh, the tension that you're, you're, you're raising there between teaching the wrong thing to young people and maybe waiting uh, later to teach them at all. Sierra Clark, I wonder uh, what you, what you make of that. I completely agree. You know, I feel that if I'm young enough to experience racism, children are young enough to be taught Mm. truthful history. And I'm a firm believer in educating the, the, you know, the younger, the better. Um, You know, as I grew up, it was very confusing for me because there was this notion that we were dead and we weren't around anymore. So when I would introduce and say, you know, hi, I'm, I'm uh, Ojibwe in Ottawa, they'd be like, I thought you guys were wiped out. Like, no? Um, well, then, you know, why are, why are you here? Why are you, like, not in buckskin? Do you live in teepees still? Mm. So it just really creates um, this misconception of us um, that were, uh, like she mentioned, uh, a past tense rather than, um, you know, we're present, we're here, we're, we're vibing, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, I, 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 it's a, it's a really, really interesting uh, issue and question about how you, how you deal with that with, uh, with young people. Ashley, thank you very much for the call, uh, and the comments. Uh, let's go to Thomas in Detroit, who has a really interesting question as well. Thomas, what's on your mind? Yes, um, I briefly uh, lived in the Navajo Checkerboard Reservation in New Mexico for about a year. Um, and uh, this is sort of a, a what-if type of question. Would, would the American people support putting a statue of Geronimo um, in Washington, D.C., he, he was sort of like what the African Mau Mau uh, represented against the British. Mm-hmm. He, he, was, he would hit and run and then run to Mexico, mm-hmm. and, but he was just defending his people. And as food for thought, you know, we, we seem to glorify a lot of the wrong people. <laughs> a lot of people have statues who shouldn't. That's yeah, probably right. But, but so. I think something like him would, yeah. would sort of... That's an interesting uh, question, Thomas. Like, would that, would, uh, would that push us in the direction of, of healing some of these wounds or, or maybe opening up conversation about how to heal those wounds? Uh, Megan Lotta, I wonder what you think of that kind of idea 
celebrating Native Americans in a way that we celebrate other Americans. And this is a this is a country that loves statues. So why can't we have why can't we have one in uh, D.C.? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's speaking to this idea, right, of, you know, we have all these statues of, you know, very, like, violent colonial people. I mean, we, we talked about the Columbus statue, mm-hmm. you know, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it would be great to have more Indigenous representation in statues, you know, whether that's in D.C., whether that's, um, you know, at the Michigan Capitol, like, things like that. And, and, I, and I think that's goes a long way in restoring actual history you know having maybe a statue of an indigenous person with a plaque that also discussed you know who they were the land that we're on the history of that you know i think that goes you know far more you know profoundly in terms of kind of education and understanding actual history um than does a statue of columbus for Mm -hmm. sure yeah yeah Okay, Megan Lada Gupta and Sierra Clark, uh, it was really great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, yeah, Kitchi McGlitch for having us and for taking the time to speak with us. Mm. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes. So that is going to do it for us today. Before we end, I want to say to everyone in our audience a couple of things be safe, be happy. Be safe, celebrate, be safe, take care of each other. Tomorrow is my favorite holiday of the year, and I am determined to make it special, even though all of these things impinge on the celebration that we would normally have, and I hope you are able to do the same thing. Tune in on Friday, I'm sorry, uh, tomorrow for a Thanksgiving special that looks into the history of the holiday. I will be back on Monday. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.